Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in an empty yet sunny capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Paul Wright, Director of Health Ed Co., a company focused on promoting evidence-based discussion parent pertaining to childhood health and well-being. Paul, hello. Hello, nice and nice to meet you. Well, nice to meet you. Thank you for coming on to the program today. Um, normally, uh, we get straight into the discussion on leadership. However, considering uh, we have uh, very strange circumstances at the moment with the uh, COVID nineteen outbreak. And uh, you are in a health-based uh, uh, company. We should spend a little time discussing that. Uh, so firstly, how has COVID-19 restrictions affected your business? Yes, we've had a mixed kind of um, response because we make somewhere in the region of around about 1,500 different resources. And these resources cover everything from your general public health, which is maybe some safety, which would be growing as a concern now. Um, through to capital models, intubation models, which actually are in um, you know high demand at the moment. So we kind of seen as ourselves that we needed to change radically both in the manufacturing and sales um, how we're actually meeting the needs of um, our customers because their change is being massive, literally in weeks. Now. Let's go into a little bit about uh, what your company does and how that might pertain to uh, the information surrounding uh, the coronavirus. So if you'd like to explain just to the listeners just a little bit about uh, your company. Yeah, sure. Um, well, myself, I am um, come from a public health background and also an educational background. So I'm a fellow of the Royal Society of Public Health. I'm also um, an honorary member of the UK Faculty of Public Health and a thing within health promotion and public health. Um, for some 20 years now. Um, in my position, I um, look after pretty much anything outside of North America in regard our company. So I'm a vice president of the company Health Edco, um, of which there are some 180 of us altogether. And what we do is we produce hands-on materials in the main that actually are able to use by health professionals either for training use in health education or nursing or actually as props in a sense to be able to deliver a message so that might be from things like a year's worth of tar where we have a, a jar that can be used to actually show what the damage is to the lungs and how much tar there is in there and give a real kind of effect that makes people think about change now, of course, uh, the current illness uh, that is sweeping the globe, uh, there is no vaccine for it as of yet. Uh, but as and when uh, there does become a vaccine, then we do get into a, a public health issue of whether vaccination of this kind should be voluntary or mandatory, and if there should be any exemptions. Uh, how do you feel that this will end up playing out? I suspect that it will be as pushed as much as possible to be mandatory. I think the concern really is that as this is a coronavirus, which is similar to the cold in, a, in the type of virus it is, we may find different mutations. And what we end up is something very similar to the flu jab, which means that we can target the actual coronavirus as a vaccination, but we may not get all strains. So there is a worry that even if we are to vaccinate, it may not actually 
immunise the whole of the community and make coronavirus go away. Certainly, if we're able to get um, in a sense of herd immunity, so that's over at least 70% of the population um, with some immunity against this virus, then we should see the rage drop dramatically and, and hopefully a normality to life will begin again. Um, so there's lots of questions, certainly at this time as we're in the kind of start of April, where people are relying on the vaccine, but I think people are also in the, should we say, public health are also dubious that it's a, a cure-all. Now, of course, uh, vaccinations uh, have been seen by some as controversial. The, the vast majority of people believe that you know, vaccines are fine, which you know, the scientific evidence certainly proves. Um, what would you say to those individuals who are still uh, swearing up and down that they will not vaccinate themselves or their children? I think it's, it comes down to the evidence and the situation that we're in as of today is that I think people can actually see every day the dangers inherent with this disease. I mean, certainly as we're talking today, we only found out last night about um, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson, of course, being in intensive care. So I think it's bringing home to people the, the actual the, the scare of it. When we talk about vaccinations in the past, and we may have been saying about measles, mumps and rubella, because there's been such a herd immunity through mass vaccination, it's almost as if people have become, well, it's not that dangerous because they haven't seen it in the population. Exactly. I believe, yeah, I believe now that this is as big a thing as there has been for generations. Uh, pardon me. And because of that, we're going to see many of those people that may have kind of thought it was a different way of life and not to vaccinate. I think the evidence and the public health elements will come over so strongly that they will feel um, society's push, but also it is the right thing to do to have vaccination, to protect their children themselves and, you know, future generations in a sense. And of course, they're not just protecting themselves and children, they're protecting the public at large, uh, because even if the general public uh, gets vaccinated, there is a danger in unvaccinated peoples. Um, But moving on uh, to the subject of leadership, I always like to start that part of the conversation off with a very simple question, which is, what does the word leader mean to you? Certainly. Um, I think leader means to me is that it's a person that doesn't demand of others. It's a person that actually shows as much as possible within their own working and their life outside of business that they are doing what's right. Um, certainly within uh, my realm, you know, it's, it's about helping people. And, and it's in a situation where the work we do um, has an impact, such as if we stop children from smoking, then we save one in two of their lives in future. But nobody ever gives us a clap or says, well done, because actually what we've done is stopped, in a sense, that lemming falling off the cliff and has stopped them from, in, in, in that sense, you know, dying early, but nobody would notice. It's the ability, therefore, to show that kind of enthusiasm for something that you might not um, get applauded for, but makes a difference. And then it's also taking into account their personal circumstances. There are many a situation where I believe um, staff leave not because of the work, but because of the, the way that we look at their lives and how we can meet the demands of their lives outside a business, which helps them within the business context. 
Now, of course, one of the big parts of leadership is dealing with people. And uh, people aren't always at their best. Um, they're certainly not infallible. How do you handle conflict within the workplace? I think the first thing to do is, is know it's not personal. Um, certainly, I think we're in a, a world today where people almost, um, the phrase keyboard warrior comes into mind. And if anything, we're even more in it today where we're all at home, working from home. And um, emails and conversations in that manner can be can be fraught with danger in that a, a well-meaning uh, message of not criticism, but constructive kind of elements to it to make something better may come across as criticism and people will oh, take offense and, and from that you can get into situations where it doesn't help business people at all i've always gone back to the fact that if you can give facts in the nicest way but also be open-minded and realize that for every fact there is there's also a general opinions and, and things can change quite quickly in business so i think sometimes you've got to be able to say well this is as a leader where we're going but at the same time, we've got to be in a situation where we can say, well, if you have distinct reasons that you believe are outside of that, that will make a difference to this project or the way that we are going forwards, then put it forwards, you know, however strongly you feel so that at least we can take that on board as a team. If we shoot it down as leaders that every time somebody puts their hand up, then soon what we find is we just have people that follow and you never have anything new because all you have is your own mantra being pushed down on those people. Now, unfortunately, our time together has come to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Health Head Co.? Well, while we've been, in a sense, waiting and looking at what we can do, we have actually thought about um, the fact that many people are homeschooling at the moment, but also many schools are quite small. So we're actually looking at what we call health for hire. So that's where we'll bring some of our kind of products together. And they may be worth a £1,000, but we will rent them out for £200 for a number of weeks. And we think in this way that we're able to get very good products out there to be used, to make a difference to the health of populations, but in a way that is cost-effective. So that's our next big project and thoughts along those lines. Well, Paul, it has been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you and the current uh, situation. I very much hope that you can come back on the program when things have quieted down and we can have a much more focused conversation. Paul, thank you. Thank you very much, and it's been a pleasure. That was Paul Wright, Director of Health EDCO. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure. But uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from... I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post. What are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about 
building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole, rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children. 
by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Oh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term... Uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. I completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities. They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward, 
from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're know you a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after no, week. No, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment That's very about good of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League because it... it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City, then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I I, I could cry sometimes. We can we can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can. Beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2 0 in January. And then you can lose 5 And then five you lose 5 0 at home to Blackburn, and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran. They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened. Who knows? Something during the morning before the game started. Something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her... One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them, but get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief that you believe in it and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa 
for mm. a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't don't do without it. a doubt. Yeah, uh, that's and also I should add that is how Leaders uh, of All Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Not quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people but again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both sharp minds around you in my case it was special advisors as as well as ministers I pretty well picked my ministers sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference Mm. but in in the end you've got to like what you're doing I mean the the people who are unhappy in their skin they, they they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very, uh, in the couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. 
what will happen in the Labour leadership contest. How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January. And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that... What they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandy or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant and I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blanket, thank you very much for joining us God today. God bless you, Jonathan. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.